I'm so glad you're here. Because I really believe that what we'll see today is not just for Christians, but for everyone. Because it's about how to live life to the full. About how to live as God created us to be. Now let me give you a bit of context for this passage. Verse 1 uh, tells us this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who's an early church planter and early missionary, along with his companions Silas and Timothy. Um, there's a little map coming... show you the region that we're talking about. And in Acts 17, actually, we read of Paul planting the church around AD 49 in a city called Thessalonica, a Greek city um, in the Greek region of the Roman Empire. Uh, they actually, uh, they preached the gospel there, they planted the church, but they were actually forced out by opponents of the gospel. But later on, Timothy goes back to check how things are going in the city. He comes back, he gives Paul a report about what he finds, and this is what actually prompts Paul to write this letter that we have today. And the report is transformed lives. Transformed lives. Living transformed lives and helping others live transformed lives is why we are actually here in this world. Let me just give you that bit of a spoiler alert throughout. But we need to look closely at what that actually means. And we're at our first point, which is this real change. Have a look at verse 2 with me. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, just listen along, or maybe you can share with a person next to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Uh, Paul, as always, is overflowing with thanks. Uh, he always, I always get rebuked when I read Paul because that's not me. And the contents of Paul's thanksgiving is a reminder of what's really important. Verse 3, we remember, we remember before our God and Father your works produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is thankful for, this is what he's thankful for. What he's thankful for is transformed lives. He's thankful for real change. Because what can he see? He can see this. He can see faith, love, and hope in the Thessalonians. This framework, this triad of characteristics, is Paul's way of summing up the Christian life. It comes up over and over again in his letters. I don't know if you've noticed that, if you've read the Pauline letters. Faith, love, and hope. These are the vital core characteristics of a follower of Jesus Christ. But how can you see these things? These are intangible, invisible things. You can't touch them. They're not concrete. How do we know if we have faith? How do I know if that person has love? How does Paul know that the Thessalonians have faith? hope. Well, it's because inward reality produces outward change. Inward reality produces outward change. Now, unless you're some amazing tree expert, I think they're called arborists. Is that right? Any arborists here? Hands up. No? Good. I can say whatever I want. Um, Most of us cannot tell what sort of fruit tree a tree is just by looking at it. Anyone want to like, you know, can you tell what sort of fruit tree this is? Yeah. But when it's bearing fruit, it's clear. Oh, it's an apple tree. There's an apple tree. Kids, shout out, what, what sort of fruit tree is this? Kids? Uh, good work, kids. That's my, that's my kids moment of my talk. <laughs> the fruit... The fruit is actually an outward sign of the inward reality 
of what the tree is. When it's bearing fruit, it's really clear to see what this tree is, isn't it? And just like a tree, in the Christian life, we see we are to look for fruit. We are to look for fruit. Paul gives thanks for their works produced by faith. It's vital to remember the core of the Christian message. We are saved by faith. Saved by faith. Not by our good works, right? But genuine faith, a real trust and dependence in Jesus Christ, it necessarily produces good works in someone's life, doesn't it? What sort of works is it talking about here? Well, it doesn't actually specify, but I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 15. Another letter from Paul. And it says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do you know what it's talking about here? Well, it's the proclamation of the gospel. It's gospel work. It's, I think work is not just this, but at the bare minimum, it must be this. Sharing the good news of Jesus. The work of the Lord that flows from faith. That's what Paul sees in the Thessalonians. But Paul also gives thanks for this. Next slide, please, Jack. Sorry, it's not working. Labor prompted by love. Now, what if I told you that I love my wife? Uh, Most of you, I hope, would believe that. But then what would you say if I said that I never, ever helped to get the kids ready for school, clean up after dinner, I never took her out on a date, I never sat and listened to her or prayed with her? Then you might start doubting whether I did love my wife. In fact, I think she would as well. And don't worry, this is not a real example, guys, okay? It's not true, just an example. My point is this, we all know love shows an action, doesn't it? Love is just not lip service. This matters to God as well. Christ himself said this in John 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What's this saying? People will know by looking at the Christian church, by looking at believers, that they are followers of Jesus because that love is visible. And this is what the Thessalonians had, visible love. And finally, Paul gives thanks for their endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hope, a future orientation, a belief in a better future, and that should change the way we live right now. We're going to dig in more about this hope later on in this passage, but what we can see now is that they're enduring. Things are hard, but they're hanging on. They've got a hope that comes from Jesus. Here's the bottom line. The inward reality produces outward change. Faith, love, hope. Lives are transformed when this is present. That needs to be the case. This section actually serves as the overarching theme for the rest of the chapter. And because the Apostle Paul hears of this amazing change, Timothy's reporting to him, look at these guys, look at what's going on. The Apostle Paul hears about this. He can say this with full assurance. Have a look at verse 4 with me, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. Paul doesn't say, I think maybe you are Christians. He says, I know. He's certain that the Thessalonian Christians are part of God's elect people, and note that the emphasis is on God's work. They are, brothers and sisters, loved by God. Look what he says in Greek, that He he has chosen you. God has saved these people and their transformed lives are evidence of this. 
How do you know you are a Christian? How do you know? My encouragement for you is this, is to look at your life. Look at the fruit of your life. Are you different from what you were before? Not are you perfect, but are you different? Has God changed you compared to what you were when you first became a Christian? Are you more loving? Are you more patient? Do you have a desire to share the gospel? Are you fighting sin? Not defeated sin, but fighting and making progress. Let me tell you, all of these things are things of God. That is not possible without Him and His work in our lives. Left to our own simple desires, none of which would be there. Faith, love, hope. But friends, how does God bring about this change? All right, our next point is this is real power, true real power. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings about real change in people's lives because it has real power. The word gospel means good news, and indeed, what better news can there be than that we can have our sins forgiven because Jesus Christ has died for us. But this news, as it says here in verse 5, is not simply words. It's not simply words. This news came to the Thessalonians not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. And deep conviction. What is this power? Well, potentially Paul's talking about the miraculous signs and wonders that accompany the preaching of the gospel uh, that we've seen through Acts. Yeah? But I don't really think this is the emphasis here. If you look at the account of the Thessalonian church in Acts 17, write that down for later, Acts 17, that's where we'll see this story. There is no mention of miraculous signs. doesn't mean they weren't there, but it's not emphasized. In fact, that passage actually tells us that Paul reason from the scriptures with the Thessalonians and that he pers- persuaded them with the gospel. It's focused on these words changing their hearts. It tells about how people turn to Jesus as Paul persuaded them from the gospel. Good friends, when you think about power, when you look at the Bible, real power is not explosive miracles. It's when real power is when we see real change in people's lives. And that's the power of God. When people are convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, that is real power. Friends, look around you. Look at this church. Here is a testament of God's power right now. Maybe you hear you're not feeling very powerful. Maybe you're feeling a bit weak inside. But this is power. We see the power of the Holy Spirit right here. As people are brought to a deep conviction that nothing is more important than Jesus Christ. And try to live that out day by day. That's why this thing called church exists. It's the power of God. This is power because we would not do this on our own. It must be God's work. But there's more. Have a look at verse 6. Verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 17, we actually see the story of people turning to Jesus, but the rest of the chapter tells about how opponents kicked them out, kicked the, the Apostle Paul out, Silas and Timothy, they kicked them out of the city. They started a riot, which tells us that this early church, it's in trouble. Think about this, they're, they're planning a church in a city that's rising against Christianity. They're having a hard time right now. They're being persecuted, just like Paul and his friends. They're walking in their footsteps of persecution. 
But look at how they're responding. Um, look how they're responding. It says this, You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. This is outrageous. Think about this. Say it with Paul. Joyful as people try to beat you. Joyful as people try to throw you in prison, kill your family. How on earth is this possible? Well, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel with the Holy Spirit doesn't just give conviction that the gospel message is true. The gospel and the Holy Spirit also give joy in the midst of severe suffering. Wow. This is real power. That's not natural, is it? That doesn't, that doesn't happen normally. This is real change that can only come by real power. This is the endurance inspired by hope in Jesus Christ that we saw in verse 3 before, hanging on to Jesus even when it's tough. And I've got encouragement for you guys here today. If you're being ridiculed for your faith in the workplace, if your parents think you are stupid for wasting your time with this church stuff, if you are going through a period of suffering that makes it so hard to keep hanging on, endure, friends. Endure, knowing that God is at work through His Word and His Spirit to powerfully keep you. You can endure even with joy. Even with joy, looking with hope to the future where Jesus will make all things right. And as you do that, you are showing the world that God's power changes lives. And that's what's happening with the Thessalonians. Have a look at verse 7. Have a look at verse 7 with me. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. This fledgling church is causing waves through the whole region, that, that whole region on the map up there, Macedonia, Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from them. Now, I don't know if this means I was doing heaps of evangelism or just that their lives are so transformed that everyone's talking about it. But the second half of verse 8 clearly says this, your faith in God has become known everywhere. This is how people know them. This is how people know them. It's a good reputation to have, isn't it? Now, um, you know, different people from uh, different parts of our country are known for different things. So any, any Melburnians here? Any Melburnians here? We had a few. They're all hiding now, I think. Oh, watch over there. So what are Melburnians known for? Um, don't be rude, but let's, uh, Melburnians, are, they're known for being stylish, right? Stylish and having really uh, snobby coffee, right? That's what Melburnians are known for. What are Sydney siders known for? I lived there seven years, so I think I can say something about them. They're known for being aggressive. Any Sydney siders here? Aggressive and they're fast. Yes, Bonnie? Yes, aggressive and fast. On the roads, particularly, I, I always got cut off all the time. No one lets you in in Sydney. <laughs> and Brisbaneites, what are Brisbaneites known for? Any, anyone? Shout it out. Anyone? That's what Brisbaneites are known for. Just being chill, just being relaxed, not participating. <laughs> Brisbaneites, we're, we're known as a country town by other cities. You guys know that? Yeah? We're laid back, we're chill. Well, the Thessalonians, what are they known for? They're known for their faith in God. What a reputation. What a good reputation. Imagine if that's how people knew you. Your faith in God. Wow. And all of these outsiders are reporting the same thing. 
or at our third point, the real gospel. Have a look at verse 9. This is what they're reporting. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. What people are talking about, what everyone is posting on social media about the Thessalonians, what's trending is that they've received the gospel. They've been transformed by the gospel. And as Paul ends this chapter, he draws everything together by reminding us about the content of the gospel and re-emphasizing again the real change the real gospel brings. Firstly, we see the Thessalonians have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Thessalonica was a city filled with false gods. They were pagan cities. It was all part of the Greek culture, a multitude of gods to worship. The Thessalonians used to worship and devote themselves to these idols. But now they've turned away from these idols and they turn to the true and living God. What's the implication here? The idols are dead and false gods. That's the contrast. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel turning away from false gods and turning to the real God. Here's the thing, friends. We're all worshippers. We're all worshippers. We were made to worship. We, we all have things or people that we devote ourselves to, don't we? Let me ask you, what takes up your time? What do you spend your money on? What do you daydream about? Chances are that is your God. But these false gods, they ultimately won't bring us joy. They won't bring us blessing. They won't bring us life because they can't. They're not real. But the gospel is this. Jesus Christ has come and died on the cross. And he's risen again to free you from the power of these false gods. To free you from the power of sin and death. To free you from that enslavement that you have to these false gods that can't bring you life. You see, before Jesus, there was no hope. We're all stuck worshipping and serving false gods. Jesus opens up the way to true worship. True worship. Worship of the true and living God. He's alive. And friends, this worship, this is what you were made for. This is what you were made for. Remember verse 3. Works produced by faith. Labor prompted by love. This is all about serving God. You see, turning away from his idol to serve the true and living God isn't just one good work that flows out of faith, is it? It is the very essence of the gospel itself. This is what Jesus came for, to save us from enslavement to false gods and save us for worship of the true and living God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came. And when we understand this, it fuels our service to our God. Instead of saying we have to serve God, we can say we get to serve God. Friends, serving God is a privilege. This is what Jesus has died and risen again for. But that is not, that is not only, um, the gospel is not only about serving God. Have a look at verse 10 in your Bibles, that final verse, verse 10. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And here we see another crucial aspect of the gospel, rescue from the wrath to come. The future, it impacts your present. This is the future. If you, if you've got a wedding coming, you're planning. If you've got a baby coming, you're preparing. If you've got an exam coming, you're studying. Or at least you should be. 
a scripture tells us a judgment day is coming and this changes everything go with me here if think about this you might not all believe this but if there is a day coming where god will rightfully judge and pour out his anger that's what his wrath means on those who have done evil and welcome into his kingdom those who are righteous then we better be ready for it right we better be ready the bad news is this we are all selfish, sinful human beings, and we can't pass this judgment on our own. The good news is this. We don't have to do it on our own. Jesus is the one who will rescue us from the wrath of the Lord. If he steps into our place, he died on that cross, and he's taken all of God's wrath on himself already. And this past event secures our future hope. That won't change means our future is secure also. Friends, we live in the last days. Just like the Thessalonians, we live in the last days. Jesus has come, lived, and died again. Nothing else needs to happen except one thing. He's going to return and bring judgment and make all things new. So what are we called to do now as we wait? We wait eagerly wait patiently wait for the day when we can see jesus face to face but what do we do do we just fiddle around with our new cars do we just enjoy our upgraded electronics do we lounge around in our new houses do we make more and more money build our portfolios go on the most luxurious holidays no friends that's not what we're called to do we're called to do one thing to turn from idols and serve the true and living god with all of our lives. That's our call as we wait for Christ to return. Friends, this is what we want to see here at Big Beach Church. We want to see real change in people's lives. We want to see people working for love, working for the Lord, driven by faith. We want to see people laboring out of love. We want to see people enduring in Jesus-centered hope. We want to see people waiting, looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We want to see people turning from idols and serving the true and living God. Why? Why do we want to see this? Because this is what God has made us for. This is what the gospel transforms us for. And friends, when we live this out, not only will we find satisfaction in a way that nothing else will bring, but more importantly, we will bring God all glory, honor, and praise, and He deserves that. This is our mission here at Big Beach Church. We describe it as this, to make devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory. This is our why. This is our purpose. This is why we get up in the morning. This is why we are here, to keep making devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory. We want to see our city we want to see a multitude turning from idols and worshipping the true and living God. That's what we want to see. And friends, this year we've got a particular priority as a church so that we can see this happen, and it's this. It's to multiply ministry. What's this mean? Well, the word ministry, it means service. Our government officials are called ministers of parliament, which means that they are there to serve the people. You might, yeah, I'll leave that one there for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what the word is supposed to mean, yeah? But for us as Christians, we've seen from the scriptures, this isn't just a job title for us, to do ministry, to be ministers. This is who we are. We are servants. This is at the essence of who we are as Christians, servants, 
servants of the true and living God. This is all of life. In your homes, in your workplaces, as you seek to live in a godly manner and seek to share Jesus, you are serving God everywhere you go. But particularly, we see the service of God expressed in a special way in the Christian church. Because this community right here, God has especially called us to serve one another. We need one another. We need one another. The problem is that we've forgotten that. We need one another. We need each other to keep spurring one another on to love and good deeds. That we are called to serve one another. This is the only way that God's church can thrive. But here's the reality. The workload of serving the church is not shared evenly, is it? I was reminded of this last week. I've just come back from Ignite Training Conference, a conference uh, centered on training up people uh, to help serve their churches. Um, But as I had conversations with young people from all different churches, um, there was a theme that came up. I heard stories of huge burdens of responsibility on individuals (coughs) that was crushing them, running entire ministries by themselves, as well as being called to play in multiple music teams and step up in multiple areas, working full-time, and then being asked to do more and more every week. And that's not just an isolated case. Generally speaking, in churches, uh, 20% of people do 80% of the work. Think about this. What if 100% of people started serving, started helping, started ministering? It would mean everyone here would be loved and cared for in their families. It would mean everyone would be encouraged in their faith personally. It would mean everyone would be prayed for. It would mean people exploring their faith. Every single one would be helped. No one would fall through the cracks. It would mean a church that loves one another well and welcomes new believers well. Wouldn't we love to see that? Friends, here at CPU Church, I'm so thankful for our serving culture. We have so many volunteers that give our time to serve. But this year, our priority to see ministry multiplied because we still need help. There's so much potential here. We want each and every person here stepping up to serve with the gifts God has given them. And then we want those people to train those people to serve as well. We want to see disciple making disciples all throughout our church. Because there's still a disproportionate load of ministry on some key leaders in the church who are feeling the strain. The staff team, including myself, we're feeling the strain, if I'm honest with you. And that's because God is blessing us with growth. Just look around you. There's a constant stream of newcomers coming into care for. In January, which can often be quiet, we're averaging over 200 people attending. And there are still thousands in our city that don't yet know Jesus. Friends, we need your help. I want to ask you this year, would you consider moving from a spectator to our participant? Will you consider this year stepping up in faith, maybe into a new role? Will you consider helping us multiply ministry here at CPU Church for God's glory? If we all step up, we will see a multitude of people completely transformed by the power of the gospel. Wouldn't we love to see that? If you're thinking, I can't give much at the moment because you're unwell or struggling, that's okay. God knows that. You'll have seasons where you can serve and seasons you can't. That's all right. But maybe you're thinking too, you don't have anything to offer. Can I respectfully say you're wrong? God has made us all parts of the body with unique gifts to serve one another. No part is not useful. We're all here for a reason. You have something to give. Friends, I believe what honors God the most is just a willing heart, a willing heart. If you have that, he will use you for his good purposes. 
what are some next steps? Well, here's a few next steps. First is this. This is for everyone. Just pray to God to give you a willing heart to serve and wisdom about how to use your gifts this year. I'd encourage you to do this in the reflection time after, our, after the sermon today. Just give a prayer to God. For you, that might mean uh, stepping into a formal ministry, wanting to sign on to a ministry here at CP. Or it, or it could mean that every time you walked in here on Sunday, you've been really intentional about coming today. For newcomer, what's the next step that you can take? But pray to God that He'll give you a heart that's willing to do that. And pray that He'll give you wisdom so that you can discern what are your gifts and how you can use that to serve, serve Him. And next step is this. Let us know your interest on the Connect Ground. If you do want to take a step up, or if you're wondering, what are my gifts? How can I serve? We'd love to have a chat to you because I, I believe one of our key roles as pastors and leaders here is to help you serve God. We want to help you figure out how best you can do that as well. No commitment. You know, those, those, those uh, meeting up with us doesn't mean you're locked into anything. We just want to help you take a step forward. Friends, they're just some concrete steps to take, but, but ultimately this isn't about us filling gaps. It's not about CPE and our agenda. This is about living out who God has made us to be. I'm convinced of that as I look at the gospel and what it calls us to living out who God has saved us to be, servants of Him, servants of the true and living God. That's what it's for. So why are we here? Let me go back to that question at the start. Why are we here? Well, we're here waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And as we wait for His return, we have one job to do. To turn from idols and to serve true and living God. Friends, let's encourage and support each other in this in 2023. Let's multiply ministry together. We need each other for this. Because I think when we do this, we will bring our God much glory, honor, and praise. Let me pray. Father God, we're so thankful to you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that has saved us from enslavement to false idols, false gods, saved us to worship and serve the true and living God. Thank you, Father God, that you have chosen by your grace to redeem us. And we pray that this faith that you've given us, this love, this hope that you've given us, it shows in our lives that we can live a life that is transformed, a life that is changed and committed and devoted to you fully. And we pray that this year you'll help us to just really think hard about how do we use our time and energy and our gifts to serve you. May you help us to make the right decisions, but ultimately may you just give us a willing heart so that you may use us for your glory, honor, and praise. And we pray all these things.